I'm at Thessalonians 1, chapter 2. I'm doing this because chapter 2, the whole of chapter 2, I want to read it in context so that we can get a sense of what's happening with Paul and we can also glean all the nuggets that will come out from Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians. So I'll read for you. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we have already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of the conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or, impure, or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were Gentile among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so, being affectionately, affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, all labor and toil. We work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witness, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. If you know how, like a father with his children, we exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in manner worthy of God who called you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you have heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers, for you brothers became imitators of the church of God in Christ, in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same thing from your countrymen as they did at, from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, that they might be saved so as 
always to fill up the measure of their sins. But the wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we want to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is a hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul is telling these young believers that he longed to see them. He tells them that they are his joy. He reminds them of all the things that he has done with them. And he brought to their memory by using the phrase, and you know. But what we want, what I want to discuss here is Paul and the priority of the gospel. The priority of the gospel in Paul's life. In what way was the gospel a matter of priority in Paul's life? And I want to suggest three ways. One, he was unfazed by the persecution. And we can see that in verse 1 and 2. Two, he was untainted by ulterior motives. We can see that in verse 3 to 6. And 3, he was untiring in nurturing his converts. And we can see that in verse 7 to 9. I want to say this. The advancement of the gospel should be a priority in the life of all believers. I want to go back to something that we reference here in the Word of God. And you'll find this in verse 2, chapter 2. And Paul says here, and it's the end of verse 2, that we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. So this is not just any gospel. This is the gospel of God. This is why it's a priority, or should be a priority, for all believers to make the advancement of the gospel of God or to make it priority in their lives in all our lives I know like me you've heard many spirited debates on the discussion of politics sports the economy and the likes and many persons have become evangelists 
for their own causes or the causes they have chosen. Some will devote blood, sweat, and tears to those causes for different reasons, different motives. One could believe that the trees and the earth need protecting. I mean, we see that. One could believe that justice should be equal or equally dispensed and it needs preserving. And we can see that in our times. Again, one could believe that the Constitution needs protecting. These are all things that are with us today. But whatever the cause, we realize that those causes are now elevated in the lives of the people who believe in those causes. And that when I have stated, the disciple of Christ, for the disciple of Christ, our obedience to God is demonstrated by how we prioritize the gospel in our lives. So just scratching the surface of this chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want us to examine three points. One, the priority of the gospel of God is the obedience, is the disciples' obedience to God. Let me state that again. The priority of the gospel of God is the disciples' obedience to God. Two, the priority of the gospel of God demonstrates the disciples' love and commitment to God. The priority of the gospel of God demonstrates the care, compassion, and love for God's people. With the rich deposits of God's truth in this epistle, we will only be able to cover the first point. Looking at the priority of the gospel of God as the disciples' obedience to God, we can examine the text, specifically verse 4, chapter 2, which tells us, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul, he tells us that it is God himself who called him to preach the gospel. And we know that from Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. He was approved by God and entrusted with this gospel, the gospel of God. And he was entrusted to preach, or should we say to herald to the Gentiles, such as you and I. Come with me to Acts chapter 
9, verse 10 to 16. And when you look at this reading from Acts chapter 9, verse 10 to 16, and it reads, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Yes, here I, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has, been, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to our saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind us all, to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So you see Paul in making this statement that he was called by God is true. We can see from the text in Acts that Paul's statement was corroborated by Ananias. And we could be sure that Judas, who is also mentioned in verse 11, would be able to corroborate this also. However, even though we know that Paul was called by God to preach the gospel and he has made it a priority, we still need the full weight of the gospel to help us understand why it is the disciples' obedience to the gospel of God, why it should be our priority. Luke Chapter 2, verse 40 and 49 tells us that Jesus, our Lord, High Priest and King, made it a priority from an early age. Verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus' answer in 49, and he said to them, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And this was, say, around the age of 12 that we have this recorded for us. The Gospel of Mark records for us just after John the Baptist's arrest. And it states in Mark 1, 15. It says, Jesus came to Galilee saying, 
the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This gospel, the gospel of God, was a priority. It is a priority for God and it is a priority for us. Reading through the scriptures, we can see the priority of, the, of our Lord as we know he walked this earth some 33 years. The same priority was given to all who would be the disciples of Christ. Mark 16, verse 15. It says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel of God. It says, To the whole creation, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever doesn't or whoever does not will be condemned. So you see, it's our responsibility, it's our duty now to make this gospel, this gospel of God, a priority in our lives. And we have to ask, where is the priority of the gospel in my life? I read of a pastor who stepped away from the pulpit to advocate for the Second Amendment. And as I said, you know, we all have issues that we hold near and dear to. But for this issue, it was near and dear to him. He stepped away from the pulpit to advocate for the Second Amendment. The one thing I can say is that a person or person can have strong views or beliefs on any issue as long it does not take priority over the gospel. What do you see or what do you hear or what do you know about the gospel. Let me tell you something. For every one of us here, had not for the gospel, we would not be here. Not at this present time. We would not be sitting here. We would not be examining the words. Our lives will not be where they are right now. We are here because of the gospel. This very gospel does not end here. It helps us to come to a place where we recognize that this world is not our home and that someday the very gospel that we heard is the very catalyst that helps us to understand the Lord or the God who gave it to us and to bring us closer to him. It gives us a different perspective, a different way of life. We are different to who we were before we heard the gospel.
The gospel don't make people good. It makes people whole. It makes people whole in Christ. There are many good people out there who are going to hell. And that's because of their gospel. But the gospel of God gives us a life beyond the life we are living now. This is the gospel. Can you tell me, or can you imagine, anything in life of a disciple that would take priority over the gospel? Especially when we see our Lord. The apostles, the church fathers, making the gospel a priority in their lives. Paul's obedience can be summed up in Paul having the knowledge of God. Let's go back to the text. At the end of verse 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. The end of verse 4, which sheds some light on this, on Paul's knowledge of God. It reads, But to please God who tests our hearts. In other words, or should we say, God who judges our hearts. This should take our minds to Matthew 25, 14 to 30. And it has to do with the distribution of talents, a parable that Jesus cited at that time. And what you realize, the last man who had the two talents, who was given the two talents, he went and buried those two talents. But when you read the story, you recognize that he knew his master. In the colloquial sense, you would say he knew his master like the back of his hands. You know, for us who are married, you know, we could say we know our wives, and we know them like the back of our hands. Sometimes they don't have to say anything, but we know what they're thinking because we know them. And this man demonstrates that he knew his master. And yet, he did something that negatively impacted his life. So Paul knew the God he serves. He knows that obedience will bring a positive outcome. So again, we come to a place we have to ask ourselves this question. How much do we know God? Because remember what I said, and not me saying it, the gospel of God saying it, to, but to please God who tests our hearts. So how much do we know God? I'm sure we all are familiar 
and this is one that's bandied about all the time. The God who heals. We, we know that God. Or the God who provides. Or the God of love. And as much as all these descriptions are true, we also see that Paul's obedience is identified in the midst of suffering. Yes, suffering. This is the same God we are, we are dealing with right now. The God of love, the God who heals, and the God who provides. But yet, Paul's obedience is identified in the midst of suffering. And I want to make it clear here. And this is suffering ordained by God. So I'm going to ask a question. You know, we have in our society, we hear a lot of talk about, um, you know, people are talking about, I would go to prison, if, if I would stand against whatever issue, and if it means I have to go to prison, I would. We hear that. But knowing what Paul went through, knowing about the beatings, all these things you know about now, which one of us, which one of us get in this assignment that Paul got would be enthusiastic about getting it? You know, we have to ask that question of ourselves. Knowing that God is ordaining this suffering, which one is going to be the first person to put their hands up? Me, Lord. Acts chapter 9, verse 16. And it reads, and I'm, you, I'm looking just at the end of the verse, for I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. So we know God is asking us, see, he asked Paul, How much are you willing to suffer for me? And we know from life that everyone is not going to be, you know, have to go through suffering. That's not what it is. This is Paul. But we have to recognize where are we going to be when we come or we ask to do something for God that is not what we think it is. You know, to go to a place, a remote place, a remote village where there are no creature comforts. You've got mosquitoes as big as lions. You know, bath, an outhouse. All these are things that missionaries go into to herald the gospel of God. Sometimes there are conflicts in these regions that they're in the midst of. Again, just to herald the gospel of God. Where are we when it relates to God asking us? And we see Paul at the beginning of chapter 2 to the Thessalonians 
speaking of the suffering and the shameful treatment he had suffered at Philippi. And when you read Paul's suffering, Paul's persecution, Paul's unjust treatment because of the gospel, and yet he remained unfazed, resolute. What is your, impressions of, what is your impression of him in his obedience to God? Do you, do you see the need or the importance for obedience to God? My mind goes to Samuel, the prophet. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. Samuel poses a question. And he asked this, has the Lord as has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And we all know the answer. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And this is Paul this is what Paul understood. And Paul's suffering came out of his obedience to God in making the gospel a priority. We know, we know this God. I think we do. We know the God who made the heavens and the earth and all therein. Then we should, then we should know he has made us for his good pleasure. And anyone of us can be used to accomplish his will anytime, anywhere, because he is God. He's sovereign. So, question. If God calls and says he needs to call any one of us home so that we can save our enemy, what would the answer be? This is a question, a pictorial question that Jonah had in going to Nineveh. But it's before us now. God calls to save our enemy, what would our answer be? But before we think about an answer, we need to think and look at the scriptures, at the obedience of our Savior, Jesus, who God gave to satisfy the sin debt of all mankind. And we've heard Jesus' statement or statements time and time again that he is doing his Father's will, all in obedience. And we know that Jesus gave his life in obedience. Paul, he made a statement to Timothy 
about a great house with many vessels. And for us who have homes, or actually who own anything, we have what we, you know, I would deem an earthly sovereignty over these things that is ours. And in so doing, you can do whatever you want with it. If you own a car, I mean, you can hit in the tree because it is yours. There are consequences, yes, but it is still yours. So with that, we have to understand that we are like vessels in the great house of God. He is sovereign. And he can do anything that he wants with us because of his sovereignty. So by calling Paul to preach his gospel to us and to go through it in suffering, our attitudes, by knowing what we know now, we should have the same attitude. Paul understood this. He understood that God made him, that God called him, and God can do or use him however he, God, sees fit. And out of this knowledge, this knowledge of God, Paul's obedience to God was on full display throughout his ministry. You just need to go and read all the scriptures, all the writings of Paul, and you would see his obedience on full display throughout his ministry. I pray that all, all disciples, all disciples of Christ would have this very same knowledge, this very same knowledge of God that we too can stand before God and say, yes, God, I will. But I will enthusiastically. With that, I close. And I thank you for your time. And I ask God's blessings to our hearts on this word. In Jesus' name. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Paul as he lived a life of obedience. We ask, dear Lord, that you not only entrust us with your word, but we ask that you give us an extra measure of grace that we would be obedient to you. We be obedient to your word and we be obedient in our lives that we too would be like Paul, living a life of obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.